Matthew chapter 13. We'll just read that section again that we began with, I think it's four weeks ago or three weeks ago. This is our last week on the parable of the sower. I hope you've enjoyed the teaching there. There's just so many things that we can learn from it. Matthew chapter 13, beginning at verse 1, just to remind us of the parable that Jesus told. The same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake and such large crowds gathered round him that he got into a boat and he sat in it and while all the people stood on the shore. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he scattered the seed, some fell on the path, and the birds came and ate it up. And some fell in rocky places, where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly, because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered, because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, and still other seed fell in good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. I'm sure God will bless his word to our hearts again. Let's just come before God in prayer. Loving God, we want to thank you for the opportunity to come before you today and we believe that you know our hearts, Lord, and this parable is all about the heart. You know the things that we go through in life, the things that disturb us and trouble us and, and pull us down. But we pray that through your word and by your spirit, you'll lift us up today. Give us that sense of your nearness and of your help, Lord, because we do need to hear from you, Lord moment by moment and day by day and as we come into your presence today and we thank you for this parable help us to hear again what the Spirit is saying to the churches and we thank you for your love for us for your concern for every detail of our lives our lives at home with the family the workaday life, the Christian life and every aspect of life you're concerned about that and we saw that last week as we thought about these riches and the worries and the cares of the world that can flood our minds and hearts. And we pray, Lord, for those who are on our minds and hearts who may be ill at the moment. Lord, that you would stretch out your hand of healing and, and lift them up, Lord. We pray for Arlene that she would just be recovered, Lord, and be able to come and join us soon. And we pray for that lovely wee baby there and for Daniel too. Just have your good hand upon them, Lord. And just keep them in your love and care. And others, Lord, that used to come here are no longer with us at the moment. We ask you to woo them back by your great love. That love that was demonstrated upon the cross. That they might be able to worship with us. We thank you, Lord, for these names that we've heard this morning. We, to you, Lord, they're not just names of young people and children that came over the weekend there to the coffee house. They're not just names. They, they are people that you're concerned for. Give us the same concern for them as you have. That we might be able to share with them the things that are near and dear to our hearts. So we thank you, Lord, for the coffee house and for all the people who have been through the doors this past week. And we pray that they'll send something of the atmosphere of the fragrance of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, meet with us now 
and bless your word to us. Forgive us our sins and, and our shortcomings. May we just enter into that holy presence with clean hearts and a clean hands. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen. Amen. Well, today we come to the, the last in the series. We've been thinking about three things at the beginning when we started the series. And, and one was the sower. And the second was the seed, and the third was the soils. And it's really the parable of the soils rather than the, the parable of the sower. That's where the name it gets, the parable of the sower. But it's really the, the parable of these soils. And, and we said at the beginning that these soils really speak to us of the heart. <coughs> and one of the wonderful things that we mentioned at the beginning of this series was the wonderful grace and generosity of the sower. The sower doesn't uh, look at the ground and say, well, that's too hard, we'll not put any seed in there, or that's a bit too shallow, or that's a bit too preoccupied. The seed goes in all over the place. And that's the wonderful news of the message of the kingdom, that, that God sows the seed in all these different areas. And, and it just might be that alongside that hard area, there's fertile soil. And we said at the beginning that, that sometimes we think we know best where that seed should be sown. And sometimes we say, well, there's no use going there. No use in knocking on that door. No use in doing this or using that. Because it's just not productive. Always remember, uh, uh, I don't know if I told you this before or not, in Buckhaven when I was there, somebody told us that it's no use knocking on doors. Forgive me if I've mentioned it before, I'm getting that age now, I, I can't remember what I've said before. But over in Buckhaven, they'd be knocked on doors and somebody said it's no use knocking on doors. And to a large extent, that was true. I mean, down in, in London when we were there, we gave out 500 invitations to the Christmas service. Not one person came through the 500 leaflets that were given out to the doors round about the centre where we had our services. But in, and over in Buckhaven, we knocked on doors and invited folk to services. One couple came and never stopped coming. They just kept coming. And it was wonderful just to have that couple coming to church because of that contact. And so sometimes we say it's, it's useless knocking doors, it's useless going here and there. And, and this parable of the sower talks about the generosity and the grace of the, of the sower. That's wonderful, isn't it? He's so generous, he's so full of grace, that he even pours out seed in areas that could be difficult or maybe unproductive. And so that first seed that we mentioned, that first area of soil, was the hardened soil which was unresponsive. There were no results coming from that. And, and how did it get hard? We, we mentioned it was because of the, the folk that would pound up and down that uh, area. There were areas between the fertile strips. And uh, the people would walk up and down. And, and as they walked up and down between the strips of the fields that uh, the people had to, to use for their crops, it got harder and harder. And we asked the question, what people could be pounding our lives and causing hardness of heart. And maybe as a Christian you say, that doesn't really apply to me. My heart is not really hard. But sometimes Christians' attitudes get hardened. That happens in church life. They get so hardened in their, their ways and their attitudes that God can't reshape them or move them anywhere else. 
And church life is bedeviled, if I can use that word, maybe it's the wrong word to use, by people who will not move out of their hardened attitude and, and way of thinking. And God can't move the church on because of that. So sometimes our attitudes can be hardened. And the second soil, of course, was the soil on that uh, shallow, rocky f- face. You, you can't see the rock. It's a deceptive, rocky area. It's deceptively shallow. You don't really know how shallow it is and, until you saw the seed. And, and the rock is there. And it heats up because of the sun. And, and there's certain moisture there as well. And, and up comes the seed so fast. We call that the, the impulsive heart. Folk that make responses very quickly. And that's what churches want. We want to see it happening very, very quickly. And as quickly as they come up, sometimes as quickly they go down. As quickly as they ripe, they shrivel, or they go rotten as it were. And so that's, that's something, a lesson to us. And, and what we were learning from that shallow soil is that... There's a time factor here. That there's things that we need to learn. If we don't have all the answers and, and we're not as quick at coming up with the right fruit and the harvest, well, that's okay. It's okay. There's a, a work here, and we call that work of God's sanctification. There are three great doctrines in the Christian faith. One is justification by faith. And that's something that happens the moment you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are justified by faith. And what happens there is a divine exchange. I get the righteousness of Jesus in my life. And he takes the sin of my life on his shoulders upon that tree. It's called the divine exchange. My unrighteousness on his shoulders. His righteousness in my life. So when God looks at us, he doesn't actually see us as just on our own as it were. He sees the righteousness of Jesus in our lives. And that's why he can say to us, welcome into heaven. Any merit that we have is not the righteousness that we have. It's the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's what Romans is all about. And it's justification by faith. Coming out of that is sanctification. It's a bit like that all hallows. The hallows to be sanctified, to be a saint. And a saint is somebody who's been separated from something to something. Separated from the world to the holiness of God. And that's a process. That doesn't shoot up overnight. And so when we think about this shallow soil uh, and this shooting up very quickly, we're not thinking there about the sanctified life. We're justified by faith. Justification, sanctification, and the bit that we haven't mentioned is glorification. And that's the day we go to meet Jesus. We'll meet him, we'll see him just as he is. And we will be glorified. We'll be given new bodies. Glorious bodies. Like unto his glorious body. The Bible says. So there's justification. Sanctification. Glorification. And that's all a process. But justification comes the moment we trust in Jesus Christ. We are justified by faith. And that was the great theme of the Reformation. That was what Martin Luther came to realise. That all this business of, of battening his body. And, and lying on the monastery floor. And all the cold to try and gain merit for heaven was of no use I think it was as he was so the story goes anyway as he was kneeling and crawling up the steps of St. Peter's in Rome he got this wonderful verse in Romans the just shall live by faith 
Not by all these works and, and pummeling your body and, and doing terrible things to your body. That was how they felt in those days about how to merit, uh, get rewards in heaven. The impulse about their unresponsive heart, the hard ground, the impulsive heart was that shallow ground, that deceptively shallow ground. And the third one was the preoccupied heart. And what's so interesting about that part of the parable, and I hadn't really twigged with my own mind, the thorns grew up. <coughs> Did you see that in that parable? The thorns grew up. And that gives you the impression that the, the thorns may have not been very evident at the beginning. Just a wee bit sticking up here and a wee bit sticking up there and, and they began to grow up. And what we were saying was that if you start planting, if the seed goes into a place where there's weeds and there's corn being planted, the hardier plant gets the mastery. And that's true about the weeds and the thorns in our life. That if we try and sow in this uh, preoccupied, if the seed goes into a life that's preoccupied with all these other weeds and things, the hardier plants get the mastery. And what did Jesus say? What these hardier plants, what the thorns were? He tells us in that, that parable there, they're the worries of this life. They are the deceitfulness of wealth. And in Mark's gospel we threw in a third one, which is the desire for other things. Folk are troubled by all that. And Jesus says, that's the kind of hardier things that seek the mastery of your life and mine. The worries and the cares of today or tomorrow. And also the deceitfulness of wealth. To think that uh, I just need lots and lots and lots and lots of money. That's all I need. It's not all you need. God will take care of you. God knows every single need of your life and mine. And I think I said last, last week that God's looked after us, my wife and I and four kids, in a ministry where the stipend was very, very poor to begin with. Very poor indeed. And God just looked after I mean, there were times when somebody, I don't know, they would plant something at the door. Don't even know who bought it, you know, that kind of thing. And there were times when, and Alexander, when I started off in the 1970s, early 72, a guy would come to the door with a salmon. <laughs> you know, he said, I just caught this in the river leaving. I want you to have it. I tell you, we were, we were in the, my father's a, a millionaire. And we fed on the fat of the land because God is so faithful to each one of us. And that's the, the preoccupied. And we come to the last one here. I'm so glad I've got good soil here at last. And we come to the prepared heart. Or we could say the, the well prepared heart. And it talks there about Matthew 13 and verse 8 if you want to look at that. It talks there still other seed fell in good soil but it produced a crop a hundred, sixty or thirty times what was sown he who has ears let him hear and verse 23 gives you the interpretation there uh, verse Matthew 13, 23 but the one who received the seed that fell in good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it he produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty or thirty times what was sown so we've got here the, the prepared heart, the, the well prepared heart and perhaps there are those here who don't want to be touched and, and turned over by the Lord 
There are people like that. I don't want to be moved by God. I don't want to, things to change in my life. And yet we sometimes say to ourselves, I'd like to produce a harvest for Jesus. And what this parable is saying is you can't have that. You can't have a life untouched by the Lord, a life that's unchanged, and at the same time produce a harvest. We may delude ourselves into thinking that's possible, but it's not. And I want to praise God today that no life is too tough for him to tackle. Isn't that lovely? No life is too hard that the plough of his spirit cannot overturn and expose it to the dew of heaven, the Holy Spirit himself. There's no ground that's so shallow that can't be broken up and be given depth again. There's no life that's so preoccupied that God can't take the weeds out of our life and, and make the soil clean and productive. God can do that for each one of us. But it doesn't happen in a single day. And it's not always a, an easy process or painless process. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 11, you may find this, this promise says, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. And God has often to, to discipline us. We don't find that helpful sometimes, but it is helpful. We don't even find it painless, but it is painful at times. And then it says in that same verse, Later on, however... Now you should maybe underline that in your Bible something. Later on it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. I just love those words, later on, not right away. But God so works in your life and mine that, ah well, later on, something's coming out of us. Not right away. I never really caught on to these two words. Later on, later on, something is going to get produced. A harvest of righteousness. <laughs> now the Lord is very specific here in Matthew thirteen twenty three as to what produces the harvest. There are three things that he mentions there. He hears the word, he understands it, and he bears fruit. Something is produced. And what the Lord is teaching here in this parable is that all three of these need to be present. Now it's very interesting if you go back to the parable and to the interpretation in Matthew chapter 13 regarding the hard ground, you find that it is he who hears the word but does not understand it. That's the interpretation given to the hard ground. And the same is true of the shallow soil. He hears the words, but nothing comes forth because it's shallow. Now the word understand is not mentioned there, but I think if I could put it this way, we can understand, understand to be there. Now there's a hearing without understanding. I think it's true in all these three songs. Although the word understand is only mentioned in the first interpretation. I think there's a hearing without understanding. They don't really understand those who are this, this shallow soul. They don't understand that their faith needs to be rooted in faith. And needs to be rising in faith. They haven't really understood that yet. And those who are in the preoccupied soul haven't really understood that the Lord can take care of the world, the, the worries of, the, of life, and can take care of the resources that we need, and take care of that desire for other things. They haven't quite understood that. And so the Lord is really saying that, that those in the good soil, they hear, they understand, 
and they produce a harvest. So let's take each of these and turn. Let's just mention he hears the want. You know this? We're raising a generation of people who are going to have hearing problems. Do you ever listen to those folk with it? Young folk with those things in their ears. I've gone to, Annie likes to go on the bus at times, and I hate going up the stairs because upstairs, youngsters get up to all sorts of mischief, and I just prefer to be down the stairs. And I couldn't be bothered with with folk uh, with all these things in their ears and yapping away. And I don't know. I'm just getting a wee bit too old now. I don't think it is. But anyway, there's folk using these things, and it's belting through their ears. And there's going to be a hearing problem in a generation coming through. Have you ever heard some of these cars that pass you back? And it's thump, thump, thump. And I'm thinking to myself, what's it like inside that car? If I can hear that outside, almost the road is almost vibrating as they go along the way. I was at a wedding there on Friday and I said to Anna, I hope in all the world that we can talk to each other while the dancing's on. No, no, no way. You just had to wait. And, and this band that we had at this wedding on Friday, this was my first uh, a civil marriage. I'd never been at before. And it was a wee bit sad in a way. But that's, that's by the way. But the dancing was at night. And, and I'm into the old Cayley stuff. You know that kind of stuff, the Scottish stuff. Well, it was all that different stuff. It wasn't Cayley. It was, I don't know what you could call it. You know, it's maybe rocky. I, I don't know what it is. But they, they threw in a few wee Scottish dances in between. But the trouble was the band kept going from one thing there's no gap and I'm waiting for a gap to say hello to somebody <laughs> and it's belting through and belting through and, and Annie says Alec let's go home let's go it's just useless you just couldn't talk to and I think there's going to be a generation I don't know how many weddings people go to but there's going to be a generation who can't hear because they've had all this stuff belted through at discos and whatever it might be there are folk who have hearing problems and the same was true in Jesus' day not because of loud noise they just weren't hearing what God was saying that's why Jesus says in that parable at the end here, he talks at the end of the but he who has ears, let him hear. Now ears are not just for holding up your specs or your bonnet. <laughs> They're there for us to hear what God is really saying to us. And how do you, you know what God is saying? And, and the answer is quite simple. Recognize who is speaking. Now in the early days when we were in the manse and the noon and the, the family were growing up, my wife and I would go away and leave them to their own devices at times. And, and my wife and I would come back and, and, and one of my daughters would say, Dad, uh, there's been a message for you on the phone. And I said to him, who, who, was, who left a message? I don't know. I said, well, you didn't you ask them what their name No, I didn't ask them what their name was. Was it male or female? Oh, it was female. Oh, that's all good. And I said, can you not even just have said, and your name is... That was too proper for them. They wouldn't say that kind of thing. And you didn't even know who was actually waiting for you, who was actually speaking to you. Don't even bother to take a, a, a telephone number or anything like that. That was the kind of children I had at the end of the day. But you know this, if we're going to grow up in our faith, we better recognise who's actually speaking. Who is saying these things into our lives? Now, it's not all that long ago that a lot of books were written on something called the New Age Movement. And that New Age Movement 
affected every kind of walk of life. And what was the New Age movement really saying to us? One thing it was saying to us, there are no absolutes. This is a, a pluralistic society. And there's no such thing as, as this is right and that is wrong. It depends on the situation. When I was at college, we had to study what was called situation ethics. And a man called Fletcher had this book on situation ethics. So you could have an affair. And as long as a, a loving affair with somebody else, it was okay. It wasn't because of there's a command telling you that you couldn't have that kind of thing. It was because the situation determined that it was right or wrong. But the Bible doesn't speak like that. The Bible brings the clear command of God upon your life and what you must do. So there was such a thing as situation ethics. And then this kind of new age movement, there was that kind of feel about no absolutes, a pluralistic society. We're all going the same road to heaven or nirvana, whatever it might be. And, and there was this sort of idea floating around in this new age mix and mash of other religions. One was no absolutes. And the second was the deification of self. That you could be a god. Do you ever remember that coming through the New Age? That you could be a god. And this was paramount to Hinduism. Hinduism believed that we, we all should make this uh, journey. A, a Hindu is aiming to be at one, a union with Brahma, the all-powerful Hindu creator. And the person would be at one with this god. They would be a god. And that affected every area of life. And it came out in the art of relaxation, in yoga, transcendental meditation. It also appears in the science of creative intelligence, some alternative medicines, astrology, and new age music. And it's quite alarming for Christians who have had to go to some of these work training programs. There are Christians who have to go to these company training programs only to discover they're right into a new age technique. I've had Christians tell me that. Right into a new age technique. Now it would be wrong to link the new age movement to any one eastern religion but uh, since the 1960s the occult mysticism of North America has widened the scope of this movement. It now affects every major life science, psychology, medicine, the arts, entertainment, politics. Think of the programs on Sky. If you've got Sky at home, the programs on the paranormal. The people that are, are flocking to these men that, that tell them about the future and what's happening in their lives. That has just blossomed. Or the force in the Star Wars film. May the force be with you. That kind of encapsulated this New Age movement. And then of course there's the Shirley MacLaine who is the celebratory evangelist of the New Age movement. Her creed in her book, Dancing in the Light, where she says, I know that I exist, therefore I am. I know that God's source exists, therefore it is. Since I am part of that force, then I am that I am. Does that ring a bell? It ought to ring a bell. Exodus chapter 3. Jehovah. What does Jehovah mean? I am who I am. And this woman, Shirley MacLaine, is really saying, I am a God. I am who I am. And what I'm trying to say in all this is, are you not back at the Garden of Eden? 
But the serpent says, the moment you eat of the fruit, you shall be as gods. That's what we're back to. You shall be as gods. And what we're actually saying here is something really important. That if we're going to have this growth in our life, you better recognize who's speaking. You better say, Lord, is this you? Are you really speaking into my heart? Because this good ground and this cell that's coming from the good ground is for those who actually hear. He is the one who hears the word. Other folk heard the word but didn't come to this harvest. Then the second part of it was also it's somebody who has understood. And I believe this word understood is the key word in the parable of the sower. It's the key word. The first lot in the hard ground did not understand. And I believe the shallow ground folk did not understand. I believe the preoccupied folk did not understand. What does it really mean to understand, real understanding? And the Bible does not use this term of intellectual understanding. The Bible really teaches us that this understanding is something of the heart. It's the moral and spiritual life, the whole moral and spiritual life of the person being touched and affected. Your word says the scripture, have I hid in my heart? This is a matter of the whole being being affected. And so what is the teaching us here? What is Jesus actually saying? Not only do I need to recognize the voice, but I need to respond with my whole being. Recognition has to do with discernment. Response has to do with application. And what we're thinking here is the the germination of the seed. The germination of the seed. Now if understanding means all that, then it means that resistance and reluctance in your life and mine has to be dealt with. It means my whole life must be open and receptive to God and His Word. The whole life open to it. Do you remember that lovely story in Acts chapter 8 and verses 30 and 31? Do you remember that story about the Ethiopian eunuch? And Philip the evangelist. He's been used mightily by God in Samaria. And thousands, loads and loads of folk are coming to faith. And the Lord says to Philip, Philip, I want you to leave all that. And go and meet one person. Leave in the crowd. It's great to be in a crowd. And go and meet one man. And this one man is an Ethiopian black fella. He's in this chariot. And he's opening up the scriptures. And he's reading from Isaiah 53. And and Philip begins to join up with the chariot. and, And says to this man, do you understand what you're reading? It's not a matter he wasn't hearing the word of God. Did you really understand it? And the Philip, the Ethiopian, you know, says to Philip, how can I? Except somebody explains it to me. And we're told that Philip began to explain how these scriptures spoke of Jesus. And the Ethiopian eunuch then said, here is water. What's to hinder me from being baptized? And Philip said to him, if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, you may. Remember that story? And and the the Emmaus walk? And they didn't recognize Jesus? And Jesus comes alongside them and they said, uh, we thought he was the one who was going to restore Israel, but we've been disappointed that it's all fallen through. And, And Jesus begins to open up the scriptures that taught about him. What does it mean to understand? 
It's to connect the Word of God speaking about Jesus. How these Old Testament scriptures would speak about Jesus. If I understand rightly, I have this response in my whole being and I make connections with the Word of God. I'm with Jesus coming into this world to be our Saviour and Lord. And these other scriptures help us along the way. The understanding the scriptures of Isaiah 53 is to learn it's all about Him. It's about Jesus. And we find then the, the, the pieces of the jigsaw begin to fall in the place. We begin to have a new attitude. A different attitude to the, the parts of the scripture. Some kind of action comes into our lives that expresses our commitment to the Lord. The whole ground of my life becomes reachable. It becomes reachable. So the good soil then in the prepared heart, Jesus says he hears the word, he understands the word, and finally come to our final point, he bears thirtyfold, sixtyfold, or a hundredfold. And just before I talk about that, let me give you a quote. Anybody here uh, heard of Philip Keller? Philip Keller wrote books about the shepherd Sam and about this story as well. He says this wonderful thing. The extent to which a piece of good ground is received and responded to good sowing is eventually demonstrated by how little the soil shows. Do you understand that? Let me say it again. The extent to which a piece of good ground is received and responded to good sowing is eventually demonstrated by how little the soil shows. If something good's been happening, there's not a lot of soil, but a lot of harvest. Not so much soil, but the crop, something's coming up through. And the less soil you see, the greater has been that work of God's grace in your life and mind. We're not saying to people, I'd like you to see the soil of my life. But I want you to see what Jesus is doing in my heart. There's something coming up through. And Philip Keller is saying, the degree to which that harvest is so good is how much soil do you see? The less soil you see, you see the greater the harvest. That's true. The more soil you see, there's not so much coming up through. And he says it's what's coming up through that's important. You can't say, suppose you're the soil of the, of the good. You can't say, well, I'm glad I'm not like that hard soil. I'm glad I'm not like that shallow soil. Or that preoccupied soil. I am really good soil. That's not the, that's not the purpose. It's to be able to say, look what Jesus has done for me. But he's done for me. He can do for you. Something is coming up through my life that I praise him for. And that's, he gets the glory. It's not the soil that gets the glory. It's the harvest he brings. And the truth is, if we have received the word, the very life of Jesus flourishes. And here's something you have to remember. It's in the notes that I'll give you at the end. It's the fruitage of his character and the fragrance of his conduct that will be evident to those around us. The fruitage of his character and the fragrance of his conduct. And what should be poking up through is more and more of that. The fruitage of his character, the fragrance of his conduct. A life more and more like Jesus. And that brings me to the hardest bit of the parable. Why are there different yields? You ever thought about that? Why are they different? 
And the answer I don't really know. At the end of the day. If you've got good soil, why is it all a hundredfold? Well, here's what some of the commentators have said. Some of the old commentators. Alexander, Alexander McLaren says this. The variety and the degree of fruitfulness is according to the thoroughness and the depth of the reception of the word. That's what he says. That the, the degree of fruitfulness is according to the thoroughness and the depth of the reception of the word. The great husbandman or the farmer does not demand uniform fertility. He's glad when he gets a hundredfold, but he accepts sixty or he accepts thirty. Ah, I think that's amazing. God will accept thirtyfold. He'll accept some kind of harvest, even if it hasn't a hundredfold. Here's what Hendrickson, he's one of my favourite uh, commented, he says this, The difference in the degree of fruitfulness is because not all are equally penitent, trustful, loyal, courageous. Hence, not all are equally productive in bringing other lives to Christ. In one case, one believer, the seed, the message yields a hundredfold, sixtyfold, or thirtyfold. In each case, however, the seed has fallen in good ground. And Henderson takes the view that this is evangelism. And not everybody brings lots of folk to Christ. Maybe it's a hundredfold in some cases, only sixtyfold in other cases, and thirtyfold in other. But you know, I don't know that Henderson's right there because the field is not the world, the field is your heart. But at the same time, it's interesting, you know, that God doesn't expect the same from every one of us in terms of evangelism and bringing out to Christ. And old Matthew Henry that I've quoted here before, Matthew Henry says, Not all are alike fruitful. Among fruitful Christians, some are more fruitful than others. Where there is true grace, there are degrees of it. Some are of greater attainments and knowledge and holiness than others. All Christ's disciples are not the same in the same farm. But if the ground be good, the right fruit, the heart honest, and the life of a peace with it, those who bring forth thirtyfold will be graciously accepted of God and will be fruit attending to their count, for they were under grace and not under law. And so Matthew Henry takes the view that there's a work of grace going on in your life and mine. But the yield is going to be different in terms of the knowledge that we have and of the understanding of the holiness of God. And finally we consult with the great man himself C.H. Spurgeon. He says, all good ground is not alike good, and besides the situation may differ. Harvests are not all alike in the same farm, in the same season, under the same farmer, and yet each field may yield a fairly good harvest. And Spurgeon ends his comment with a prayer. He says, Lord, if I can't reach to a hundredfold, let me at least prove to be a good ground by bearing thirtyfold. I just find it so helpful and gracious of God he'll accept thirtyfold but you see it does say in the scriptures elsewhere those who have been given much much will be expected it also says in the word of God to those who have been given a little they will receive greater things so when we come and say Lord I've only got a thirtyfold of a harvest perhaps the God say that that's acceptable I receive that and I, I praise and thank you for it. I, I thank you for the th growth in your life. And it may just be thirtyfold. But sometimes you may want to say, Lord, perhaps you want more from me. Sixtyfold. Or perhaps you're producing sixtyfold. A, a life that's producing works of grace and love and, and purity and holiness. And Lord, I want you to go for a hundredth. 
I just wonder sometimes if we shouldn't settle for 30. If that's 30 fold produce, we should be saying, Lord, just make it even more fruitful. Help this life of mine to grow and grow and grow more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And perhaps we need to pray that prayer of Spurgeon. Lord, if I can't reach a hundredfold, let other people know that the ground is good and fruitful. Let me yield even just 30. May something poke up through. The folk just can't see good soil, but they see a harvest. They see something of the footage of Christ's character, of the fragrance of his conduct, of his love in this life of mine. I hope you've benefited from these soils that speak of the different kind of hearts. The seed falls in oil, the graciousness and the grace of the sower. Nobody can blame the sower and nobody can blame the seed. The message of the kingdom goes out. It's the soil that can give the problem. But thank God today we can be good soil. Lord, I just want to pray for each one of us today. There's times when we've been a bit hard. We've been hard soil. There's times when we've been shallow in our experience of our faith. And there's times when other things have preoccupied our lives a bit like weeds. But thank you, Lord, that you can create within us good, fertile soil on which that seed can land and through which that seed can grow. Lord, may we see today not a lot of soil, but may we see something poking up through of the fruitage of your character, of the fragrance of your conduct, of your love. Make us a people who produce a harvest for the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm, I'm doing a, a series just now in Kirky on a Sunday night on encouragement over four weeks. And perhaps it would be good for us to look at that. I mean, I've enjoyed the, the study for it. I don't think encouragement is just for one church. But if you'd like to uh, be part of that next Sunday, God willing, I'll, I'll open up this series of what the Bible has to say about encouragement. I've just found it such a, a blessing. I'm sure you will as well. Okay, thank you.